Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Your Bible to the book of Luke this morning. I want to start by saying thank you for the privilege to be able to be here to worship with you this morning. I enjoyed the service. I uh, appreciate all those participating in the music. That was, was beautiful. Touched my heart. A couple of songs I was listening to on the way over here from Pennsylvania, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the service this morning and appreciate the opportunity. My wife wanted to be with, uh, with me this morning. We talked about it. She was unable to. Uh, she's the piano player at our church right now, which is generally harder to replace than the pastor. A lot of people can fill the pulpit. Not many can sit in the piano. And uh, so she's there serving uh, there. We appreciate that. And we appreciate, I appreciate you being here. It snowed this morning and uh, you never know. And we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, this morning, we're, I had people texting me, are we having church this morning? Once it started snowing. And yes, yeah, so we're glad you're with us. Take your, if you're in your Bible, Luke chapter 8, in your Bible or your tablet or however you're following along. I'm going to preach this morning and tonight uh, from the same section of Scripture uh, this morning, we're going to look at the challenge of faith, and tonight, uh, from, a, from the same section of Scripture, because uh, there's two different uh, accounts, two different stories taking place in this section, and tonight we're going to talk about what happens when everything falls apart. When there's a challenge in front of us, we walk by faith, but sometimes we can wonder, Lord, it seems like everything is falling apart. We know it's not if you trust God, but sometimes it feels like that. So hopefully uh, through this section of Scripture will be an encouragement this morning. Luke chapter 8, you follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 43. The Bible said, And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him, he's speaking, coming behind Jesus, and, and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stenched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied... Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee. And thou sayest, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Father, for the next few moments, we ask uh, for the filling of your spirit. Lord, would you give me the words to say? Would I say only what you want, not necessarily what I've prepared? Lord, I have prepared, and, and we have notes in front of us, but our desire tonight, or this morning, excuse me, is that you would have me to say what is needed. Lord, we all come in here with burdens. We come with things in our heart where we come looking, hoping that you will speak to us from your word. And so I pray, Father, this morning you give me the words that are needed this morning. May I be your messenger. May I hear from you. And Lord, may we all today hear from you. We look forward to what you will do and how you will speak in our midst in these few moments together. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. 
Amen. This morning, for the next few minutes, I'm going to preach in this simple thought, just a touch. Now, if we take a couple minutes and we look into this story, let me give you a little breakdown of what's happening. The section we haven't read yet, which we'll deal with tonight, is the story of a centurion. He'd heard about this Jesus, and so he comes. His daughter is in her, on her deathbed, and he comes to, to this Jesus, which was not, as a centurion, not necessarily a good political move. And he comes, and he's asked this Jesus to come heal his daughter. Well, they start, and as they're going to walk towards the house to heal this daughter, the story we just read takes place. Now, there's tons of people, as the Bible says, thronging him. There's just hundreds, maybe, people trying to touch Jesus, trying to hear from Jesus, hoping maybe Jesus will heal them. And so he's slowly walking with this centurion, and all of a sudden, in the midst of all of these people, just all around as he's slowly trying to make his way to the centurion's house, Jesus stops. And he asked this question. He said, who touched me? Now, I love it when Jesus asks certain questions, just study Scripture, because you'll see sometimes he asks it, and those around him, the spiritual leaders around him, completely missed the question. So what does Peter do? I I picture Peter. I I like Peter. Um, He's a bit impulsive, uh, sticks his foot in his mouth most of the time. But you know what he's thinking. And so I I see Peter looking at Jesus and saying, I don't understand. I mean, there's there's hundreds of people. Because all these people are pushing up against you. Why would you say, who touched me? You know, I I love the fact that Jesus does this because what he's he's teaching this group is he's saying, listen, you you all have something you think is going to happen. I have so much I want to teach you in this situation. And his disciples didn't get it at first. And there are going to be times in our life where God is trying to teach us something. And in the midst of that, we don't understand what he's trying to teach us. And I think sometimes it gets harder. We don't understand how what we're going through right now could teach us about anything. You say, well, that doesn't sound really spiritual. We probably don't say that in church, but at at night when we're praying, Lord, why? You You ever studied the book of Psalms from the perspective of just watching David So many times in the book of Psalms, David just sits and says, Lord, what are you doing? I'm using my words. This is not fair. This seems uh, unfair to me. I don't know why you're doing this. You're even hurting your own testimony. So many times in the book of Psalms, David is kind of straightforward to God. This doesn't make sense. So I want to look at two aspects of that thought this morning and tonight. The first one is just that one touch. You know, I think when we go through these times, there's some scripture that I go back to that I evaluated in my own personal life over the years. One is in James, James chapter 1, where it says, um, I totally lost the passage, count it all joy, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or multiple temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Now, I know, we probably all know theologically, that where joy is different than happiness. God is not saying there, find it happy, Or be happy when things seem to be a battle, when you find yourself in an unmovable circumstance. He's not telling us that. He's saying joy. And we understand joy is not circumstantial. There are certain things that make us happy, and there are certain things in the midst of hard times we can have joy. And it doesn't always make sense. This last week, or last couple weeks, I got a phone call from an elderly lady in our church, and she called me several times about this, and she'd stated that her younger brother, now it's a unique scenario, her younger brother was two years older than her oldest son. And so it was just a unique scenario, and he's 62, very young, and she says they took him off chemo. They say he's got six months to to live. 
and she was just talking about all of the things she remembered about her younger son. Well, then they called me and said, would you mind coming? He's about 40 minutes from our house. Would you mind just coming and praying with us over? And so, yeah, we jumped in the car a couple of days later, drove out there. And, and fortunately, by the time we got there, their brother had been placed on a medicine because he was in pain. And so he really wasn't too awake. I, I caught him as I was leaving. I thought he was more receptive. And I thanked him for letting me come and pray with them. And he thanked me. It was unique. He was talking, but not really cognizant as I got to be there with that family. But so this last Friday, they called me. He'd been off of chemo about a month and he went home to be with God. But what caught my attention in that conversation more than anything is I talked to this sister, uh, 20 plus years older, probably in the mid late 80s. And she's, I started, I'm sorry for you. I know how hard this is. And she goes, pastor, this is good. He, he's, his pain is gone. He's, he's in the presence of Jesus. You know what caught my attention? Two weeks earlier, she kept saying, why would God do this? This isn't fair. And the day after he passed away, God, this, God, pastor, this is good. Because when you have the grace of God when you need it, it's amazing how God can show that some circumstances are good. Why? Why can we count joy? It's not because we have control. Generally, those are the times we struggle the most when we can't control it. Why can we have joy? Because God is in control. Now, I, I think all of us at some point, if maybe it's just me, we know God's in control, but sometimes we wonder what he's doing. Am I the only one that feels like that? I, I sometimes, Lord, I trust you. I really do. The verse that I've, I look at often, Proverbs 3, 5, I, I, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. It's later in message. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's, we, that's easy to say, right? The part that I battle is lean not into your own understanding. You see, I'm American. We know everything, right? I, I, I know what's best. So I know what's here and I know what's best for God and I can't figure out why he hasn't done that yet. This last week, this last week I was at a conference and one of the pastors was preaching and he, he said something. I, I, you ever know when, when, God, when God says something to you you didn't know you need? This is one of those. He's preaching from Philippians and he was talking about he which hath begun a good work in you. But he focused his attention on the second half. We'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, no matter where you think you are, God's not done with you. Whatever he's doing, he's got something for you. And I, I couldn't believe how much that hit me, how, you know, what we're, what we're going through, whatever God's allowing us to go through, is not necessarily always bad. He's trying to teach us. Warren Wearsby says in one of his books, this phrase that I use often, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And that sounds great until you're up against it and your faith is being tested. It's great to say you're going to, you know, mountain moving faith until you're face to face with the mountain. And so this morning I want to talk just about what we do when we're up against the mountain. When in the midst of a time when it seems like nothing makes sense and nothing we do seems to work, how do we respond? You know, consider a thought. Remember David when he goes to meet Goliath? We love to talk a lot about that story. He gets out there, he's bringing food to his brothers at battle, and when he gets there, the older brother Eliab talks. Now, if any of you have siblings, you can see the sibling rivalry in this conversation. So Eliab was supposed to be the king, and he was set aside for the shepherd boy, this young boy David. So there's already some animosity, I'm assuming. And so David shows up and he's asking people, why hasn't someone gone and take care of Goliath? And Eliab walks over. He's like, what are you doing here? And what, where have you left those few sheep? 
Eliab's making fun of the little shepherd boy. Now David, as any youngest brother could do, he would begin to talk back. He would have, if it were me, I would have said, Eliab, if you're so big and bad, how come you haven't gone and fight Goliath? That's what I would have said. And David just said, wait, I'm not going to deal with this right now. So what does David do? He gets five stones, he goes out. You know, that's the story we know. But you know what grabs my attention as a premise I want us to consider for the next couple of minutes before we get back to the story? How was it that David was so confident that he could grab five stones, go out without armor, and take out Goliath? It had nothing to do with what was taking place at that moment and everything to do with what he had learned while being a shepherd. Remember, he had fought a lion and a bear. You know, most of us, think about it. We look at, oh, it was a lion and a bear. Have we thought about it? He fought a lion and a bear with his own. It wasn't a lion cub, by the way, all right? It wasn't this little thing. He went out. He could have said, let's see here, let the sheep go lose my life. I don't know, but he had a job. So he goes out and he fights a lion and a bear. At this point, by the way, he didn't do it in his own strength. He trusted God. At this point, he looks up at Goliath and said, God has allowed me to do some great things. Let's go. Until we see God move in the really difficult times, we won't really understand how God moves. So I hope for the next couple of minutes this morning, we can look at this idea of just a touch. When all we look for is just one touch of God, we don't need Him to solve everything, sometimes just a little bit. Because I believe this, you cannot be touched by God and come out the same. We'll look at three things from this story that we're looking at this morning. One, we see this young lady's frustration. Her frustration, verse number 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which has spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. And so we see this first section, I'm just going to look at verse 43 there. Uh, we look at this and we see a woman who's going through this great battle. And she has massively frustrated. She's got a bleeding issue and a condition that leaves her anemic and, and struggling. And so she's, she's gone to doctors, she's spent all of this money to put on doctors, and she's out of money. She's given her entire life savings, and after years and years and years of giving everything, nobody could tell her what's going on. Literally, nobody in that current time could help her. And so the story, I can imagine, she hears Jesus the healer is in town. Now, you can imagine, as I have done a little bit of study as to why, I never understood initially why this lady would be so shy and without a lot of detail, women in this condition were considered unclean. They weren't even allowed to be in the community. So if they had known she was there, the community leaders would have asked her to leave. And so she kind of hid her way, sneaking between people, hoping no one would notice who it was. And so she goes, but if Jesus sees me, he's going to ask me to leave. So her thought was this, I'm so frustrated, maybe if I just touch his garment. Now, by the way, Nobody had ever done this prior, so she had no reason to believe. No one told her, hey, this happened. So what we see is this massive frustration that drove her to, well, number two, desperation. She was, de uh, her desperation from this physical disease. So she said, no one could help. And, and here's the thing sometimes I've learned, and by the way, this is really easy to say in church from the pulpit, but tomorrow when we deal with it, it's just not as easy. Sometimes these frustrations are allowed by God for us to see God. You know, that's, amen, it's great, it's true. But when you're in the middle of it, Lord, it, I don't, what can I possibly learn? As I stood at the bedside of this gentleman, his wife was there, I just met her. And I appreciated what she said. She was nervous. She goes, I tried to say this to my pastor, and he was very kind, but I felt nervous. And so can I say something? Everybody left the room, and I'm absolutely 
<laughs> she looked at me. She's like, it's just not fair. She was, there's a lot of people God could have taken. How come she took the good one, my husband? And she looked at me, and I'm like, that's a good question. She thought I was going to scold her. I'm like, that's an honest question. It's, it, he goes, here's the thing I've learned. I, I asked this to my church years ago, and one of them caught me later. He really thought I was being blasphemous, so I'll clarify that. I said, how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you think Jesus is fair? And a bunch of them raised their hand, and I'm like, he's not. It's not fair that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. It's not fair that someone who deserves to go to hell gets a free position in heaven. Grace is God giving me something I don't deserve. So when I see what God's doing, I, have to, I can't view it in light of how I think it needs to be done. Life will come with its frustrations and then in its discouragements. I've actually heard some pastors throughout the years say Christians don't struggle with this. They don't struggle with discouragement or maybe depression or all these other things. And I think we all know that's not true. In our current day, everyone is struggling just a little. And this, I was listening to a preacher over the week, and he, he made a phenomenal point. He's speaking to pastors, and so, you know, he said, you know, pastors are. They talk about pastors and just the generation we are in to try and pastor churches, and we have no idea. There are no books written on how to pastor a church in a pandemic. There's just none. So what do we do? People come to us, how do we deal with this? Um, let's pray. And that's kind of sometimes, there's just so many things we don't know, and there's discouragement. But he made a comment. He goes, if you're discouraged, imagine how every person in your church feels right now. He said something that blew my mind. He goes, you know, over, you know, more people have died from this pandemic than died in World War II. He's, it's a battle. He goes, and how many people are connected to someone like that? In this day and age, whether it's through the pandemic or other things or however it would be, it's easy to become overwhelmed with what's going on. So the question to me doesn't come whether or not there's going to be battles, there's going to be mountains, there's going to be trials, because there will. God will allow them. The question is not whether or not we will find ourselves in these battles, but what are we, how are we going to respond to these battles. So we know in this section, the woman goes to the Lord. She's looking for healing. Can I encourage you just for a moment this morning that this needs to be the answer today? And I would say, number one, for those maybe in this room or maybe watching who don't know for sure they're on their way to heaven, could you say today that if something were to happen this week and tragedy were to strike and your life were to end, you know for sure that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Can I encourage you? I'm not asking you if you're a member of this church or a church. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you memorize a lot of Scripture. I'm not asking you if your parents went to church, you grew up in church. I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life when you've called upon Jesus? Uh, the world tells you if you're religious, you're okay. Now, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not the biggest fan of the idea of religion. See, religion to me is a man-made list of rules that if you do enough, maybe God will accept you. And I look at the idea of relationship with Jesus, that God accepts me as I am. It doesn't make sense to me, but he accepts me as I am. Here's an example. Think, consider this. The Bible tells us that God did come to bring the righteous to repentance, but sinners. So consider this. God's not looking for the most righteous people to bring to heaven, because generally speaking, if I'm righteous outside of Jesus, then I am self-righteous. You know what Jesus came to find? He came to find the worst of us. Those who were so bad, they needed more than just some religion and recognized they need Jesus. I don't, I don't know where you are today. 
One of the benefits of going somewhere you don't know too many people, you can just speak freely. (laughs) I don't know where you are today. Maybe you've grown up in church and it bugs you because you know you're not saved and you're afraid someone's going to say, I can't believe you're not saved. Maybe you're brand new to church and you think you've got it all figured out, but you don't understand what we call the simplicity that is in Jesus. That I don't need to figure it out. I don't need to become good. I don't need to come to Jesus and become really, really good. And then maybe if I'm good enough, God will accept me. I come to Jesus as I am right now. God's the one that makes the adjustment in my life. God's the one that takes me from where I'm at and moves me to where he wants me to be. Can I also say, moving beyond that though, for those of us who know we're saved, sometimes we need to do the same thing and just come to Jesus as we are. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, this mountain in front of me, this battle I'm in, I know it's of you, but I haven't heard your voice in a while. I feel like there's nothing I can do. I've tried everything. And God's like, exactly. And as soon as you stop trying everything, then you and I can start getting to work. It is the hardest thing we'll do. Let go and let God. And just trust Him. He's got a plan. He knows what's going on. He knows what's coming tomorrow. So we need to come to Jesus for salvation. We need to come to Jesus for strength. Simple principle, life's trust frustration should draw us to God, not away from God. I'm going to look at number two this morning. We see her faith. Verse number 44, he said, came, uh, this lady came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied Peter, and they that were with him, said, Master, the multitude throngly impressed thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And the woman saw that she was not hid. She came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people what cause she had touched him, and how she was immediately healed. And when he said unto, and then he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. I'm, going to say, I'm just going to mention a couple of things about her faith this morning. One, her faith was persistent. Everyone had told her there's nothing that can be done. And she says, no, I'm going to keep going. It was persistent. You ever, you ever studied out the idea of prayer? And you ever, ever asked this question maybe, okay? I'm praying to God. I believe what I'm praying about God, what God wants to do. So I don't understand what's going on. And sometimes it seems like God just remains silent. There's a section in Scripture in Luke chapter 11 where a man, the story, they tell a story of a man who comes into town at night, and by culture in those days, the culture was that a neighbor, a friend, would have had to house them. So this neighbor's saying, goes to another one saying, I have someone in my house, I need help with food. And this other guy says, listen, my kids are at sleep, the door is shut, he's giving all these reasons, and so this neighbor keeps screaming. He said, listen, I need to get some food for my friend, and I need to. he kept bugging him. This passage in Luke says, this friend would not help them because of their friendship. He says, but, but for his importunity, that's the word that means persistence. There's another passage, one of the parables, where it's called the unjust judge. This woman comes needing help from the judge. Now, in the Bible days, the, woman, the widow did not have a son or a husband, and so legally, there's nothing a judge, the judge did not listen to women in those days. 
And she had no man to go on her behalf. And other people were taking advantage of this. And the judge kept saying, I don't want to hear it. So what did the woman do? The Bible says that this judge finally dealt with it because he wouldn't leave her alone. That's my paraphrasing of the passage. But so picture, he goes home from work and where's the woman? On the sidewalk. I need you to do this. He goes out to dinner. She's in the front door. He goes back to work. She's right there. And he finally said, I'll deal with it if you leave me alone. That is the picture of persistence. Now, I've always wondered, why is it that God wants that persistence? And be honest, I don't really have a great answer, but can I give you a personal opinion? And it also goes to the personal story. Uh, my, I have three children. My oldest is now 21. I have a daughter at Pensacola. She's 18. And I have a 14-year-old, ninth grader. And this story is about my 21-year-old. He's not here, so I can tell it. Uh, when he was about four or five, we had just moved out here to this part of the world. We moved from Atlanta, Georgia. Well, back out, I moved here. When my dad moved here when I was 14. We moved back out to the Northeast. And so we're doing some work on the house. We were staying in the church's house. And so I'm walking out, going to Home Depot. And so my, at that time, my, my son, my oldest, he looks at me, he goes, Dad, can I go? Now, you have to understand a little bit about me and about my son. My five-year-old was not looking to go to Home Depot. There was nothing at Home, Home Depot that intrigued my five-year-old. See, he knew this, though. He knew Dad is soft. And if I go, I can get some ice cream out of this deal. He knows this. And he was right. So he, he looks, he goes, Mom, can I go? And she looks at me. She knows what's going on. And, she, and our son's got us trapped because who's going to be the bad parent here, right? And I'm like, sure, you can go. And then my wife looked at me. That's not fair because I want ice cream, too. All right, there's some good to this. So we get in the car. We take off. We go to Home Depot. He carries all my stuff, and he puts it in the car, and we start going. And he knows. We've only been here a short time, but he knows there was a McDonald's between Home Depot and home. And he loves the M&M McFlurries. Amen. Amen, right? It is God's manna to us. And so we're getting closer. Now, please understand something. I had every intention of pulling into McDonald's going through here. But all of a sudden, in the back, my five-year-old, Dad, can we get ice cream? And I, Nate, why should we get ice cream? Now, he's a smart kid, and this, he thought this would work. He goes, Dad, because you're the best dad in the world. And I knew his tricks, and I said, you're right, but why should I get ice cream? He's, he's like, man, i got to step my game up. He goes, you're the best-looking dad in the world. And I said, you're right, but why should I get you ice cream? You're the smartest. I, I honestly, I was just enjoying this, to be honest with you, right? And so at one point, he, he's sitting there quiet. He's thinking to himself, all of these usually work. I don't know what to do. And as we're getting close to McDonald's, he's getting nervous because he's really believing I'm going to drive by it. He's like, he, he pulls out the big guns. Dad, you want to buy me ice cream because I love you? That's just mean. That's just mean. I pulled in. I'm like, you can have anything in this drive-thru you want, right? Now, I, I can't prove this from Scripture. But you know, I know for me, when I'm in the midst of these times, I spend a whole lot more time on my knees. And I, when I mean on my knees, I'm not just saying the normal prayers that I say to go through my devotions. I'm struggling. I'm battling. I have something I want God to do, and it's not been done, and I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to keep begging until God does something, and I'm going to keep moving. And sometimes I don't get off my knees just because I don't know what to do when I get off my knees. And I think God absolutely loves that. 
And sometimes he just enjoys the fellowship. Her faith was persistent. Her faith was simple. She wasn't looking for this to be a public thing or a big thing. She was just hoping. She was hoping no one would notice and that he would heal her. See, her trust in Jesus was so strong. She was as convinced a touch would solve her problem. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thy own understanding. I don't understand why. I don't understand what's going on. I can't figure out the circumstances in front of me, but I know God does. And if I learn to trust him, he will move in a powerful way. But her faith, this is one of my favorite parts, it was rewarded. So she reaches up and she touches the hem of his garment, which had never been done, and immediately she's healed. Now, you say, how does this work? It's simple. Jesus knew her. Jesus knew she would be there that day. And Jesus knew what she was going to do. Nothing about her touching the hem of the garment made a difference in her healing. It was Jesus that knew the circumstance and had every desire to heal this lady that day. This was all about Jesus and had nothing to do with her. But she was healed not because she was special or amazing. She was healed because she came and her faith was something that God wanted to reward. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is something I hope in, but the evidence is things I can't see, I can't control. Now, most of us look at verse 1 and we agree, but verse 6 is kind of where it puts it into action. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He says, I have faith, and I need to have faith, and I'm supposed to have faith, but it's diligent faith that he rewards. Every once in a while, someone says, Pastor, I have faith. I said, well, what are you doing about it? Says, what do you mean? I prayed about it once in a while. I said, are you, are, you, are you serving? Are you working? Are you moving forward? Are we allowing what God is doing to drive us closer to God? Are we allowing it to draw us on our knees and learn who God is? Because our faith should compel us to action. As, one, as Warren Ruby said, faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And if God wants to do something, he's going to teach us. And he's, he's, he's not going to be easy. For years, I had the privilege to uh, coach soccer. I grew up, actually, before I moved out here in Northeast, I grew up in Michigan. And uh, in the Christian schools there, everybody played soccer. Then I moved out here. And people were like, what's soccer? And, uh, and the people I met, they didn't call it soccer. We're in the Northeast. They called it football. That's what I learned. And they thought I was weird for calling it that. But I, so I had grew up playing it my whole life, and so I get a chance to coach it. And so I get these kids come out, and every one of them was convinced they know how to play soccer. How do I know that? They've been telling me how good they were for the last two weeks. I've learned something. If someone's got to tell you how good they are, watch out. That's been my experience. So they get there, and one of these guys who's bragging, he is going to score 42 goals this season. There's 12 games. That's almost impossible. But he comes to practice at 10 in the morning eating a breakfast burrito from Dunkin' Donuts. And I looked, and I'm like, he is in for a long morning. And let's just say, before we got through with the drills, he no longer had the breakfast burrito, if I can put it that way. He, they got off that field, and he looked at me, he goes, you're trying to kill us. I'm like, well, if you live through this, we're going to be a good team. And, and, and one guy caught me the next day. He said, Pastor, I came to soccer to have fun, not to be tortured. That's what he told me. I'm like, it's not torture. It's just called practice. That's all it is. He said, I don't know I'd have to run this much. I'm like, you're not playing golf. We're playing soccer. That's all you do is run. And I looked at him. I said, listen, 
Give me two weeks. It's going to be hard, but at the end of two weeks, you'll be in shape, and you'll be able to do some neat things on the soccer field. And this young guy, I mean, some games he was so beat red, I honestly thought he would pass out during his practices. He only scored 27 goals that season. He caught me later. He said, if it hadn't been for the first two weeks, and he's right. When I want God to move me to where he has me, I don't know what he has for me. So I need him to develop in me what he needs. And simply a faith in him. I'm going to go with number three, then we'll be done. Our faith should compel us to action moves us to number three, her following. I'm just going to give you a unique thought today. I can't prove this from Scripture, but I want you to consider something. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 34. The Bible says this. This is a completely different group, a different scenario. Jesus comes in. The Bible says, and when they were gone over, they came into a land of Gennesaret. And the men, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, or they knew Jesus was there, they sent out into all the country round about and brought him, unto him all that were diseased. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now, I don't know if these people related to the lady. I don't know if she became his greatest evangelist and went and told everybody. I don't know if what happened just became well known. And everybody heard of what happened that day. But what I can say is her faith, however it's spelled out, her faith started something that produced and became something that affected more people. Because no one had heard of it before the story we look at this morning. We can't know for sure what we, what we just read is a result of this woman, but it just might be, and if that is, what if God could use what we allow into our, what He allows into our lives to bring Him glory and to help others come to Him? So how? How can God use something that seems overwhelming, that seems impossible, that seems sometimes frightening, seems scary, and maybe, honestly, sometimes feel like God has just forgotten us? How can it? Simple, three simple thoughts in closing. One, remember the greatness of God. God knows what he is doing. Remember the greatness of God. You remember when you were young, maybe kindergarten, first grade? I don't know if they still do this. We did it when I, when I was young. You'd walk into a conversation. You know, first graders didn't talk about how great they were. They talked about how great their parents were, right? And so you get in there, my dad can do this, my dad can do this, and it grows. My dad can beat up your dad. I don't know if you guys had that conversation. We did. It got kind of weird when they say, my mom can beat up your dad. That's when it became a little different. But I remember, when we're young, our dads were invincible. I, you know why? Because we were afraid of them, right? My oldest would joke with me. Uh, when we were young, we'd wrestle. He'd run up and hit me, and I'd throw him on the bed and things like that. And, you know, and he walked away. That was great. And I'd sit there for a while, recovering from every time he hit me. And, but we'd have a great time. And then at one point, he, he loves going to the gym. He's a, a big athletic guy now. And he's like, Dad, you want to wrestle? I'm like, I'm not even talking to you. It's not even funny. I just, I'm still taller than you. That's the only conversation we have. He's like, Dad, I'm, I'm eating dessert. He goes, you know, if you didn't eat that, you could look like me. And I'm like, but what fun would that be? You don't eat anything worth eating. That's kind of, yeah. Now, when we're younger, you know, when we grow up, our parents, you know, okay, they realize. And so a lot of times we start taking care of them. You know, God, when we're younger, we look up and he can do anything. But there are times when Satan tries to let things of life help us to forget that he can do anything. Even what it is that you're looking at right now.
He can use your faith to move the mountain you're in front of and somehow use whatever you've got in front of you to do great things. The battle you find, the, the transition you find in your church right now, he's going to use it to do even greater things down the road. My wife and I more than once have made this comment. People in our church say it all the time. When are we going to go back to normal? I don't know. You know, well, it depends on what you mean by normal. I don't know if we ever really will. But you know what? God didn't stop working in 2019. God's got a plan for 2022. He's got a plan for what's going on. And he can use even these crazy times for his glory. Remember, number one, the greatness of God. Number two, surrender to the plan of God. One of the hardest things we'll do, surrender to his plan. Pastor, I don't know his plan. That's why it's hard. Surrender to him. If, what, if you're going through, if, let me put it this way. If you, believe you're, if, you believe you're, if you know you're saved and you believe you're right with God, you don't, you know, we all sin, but you don't have a sin you're hiding. You believe you're right with God and you're do, as far as you know, you're in the center of God's will and it still seems crazy, then you are in the middle of his plan. You are exactly where he wants you to be. And he's got something great for you. You say, it's a little scary. That's why we got to remember his greatness, not ours. Surrender to the plan of God. Number three, seek to be used of God. God's work in our lives could and should impact others. I'm going to finish with a story. I tell this story because it was shortly after I moved to Pennsylvania. You ever been in those situations where God asked you to do something? You're like, it just won't work. So I, I moved to Pennsylvania out of Atlanta. I had um, moved, back, moved back to the Northeast, and I was... In youth group, I was a youth pastor when I first got there, and, and a young man came to me. A young man, I say he was uh, 17 or 18, tall, got to be 6'3", um, Asperger's disease. Yeah, I was autistic. So he came up to me. He goes, Pastor, I want you to do a Bible study in my school. And he attended a public school. And I, I did what most pastors, well, of course I would do that. I had no idea that he was serious. And I'm like, wait, what? So the next day, I get a call from this charter school in northeast Philadelphia. It was a charter school that had a special program, and I get a call from this sergeant from the Air Force. He said, I've heard that you want to come do a Bible study here. And immediately, I got scared to death. Can I share something? I grew up in Christian school. I'm just going to be transparent a little bit. How many, how many of you kids here go to public school? A couple of you? You're going to laugh at me about this, all right? You're going to think this is crazy. But I'm dead serious. I think this was, I think we grew up in a Christian realm. It was the Scared Straight program. I was told how scary public schools were. You get hurt if you get close to them. I'm not kidding. I was scared to death of public schools. You walk into your life's going to end. I mean, I, and these are the things that people were telling us. So I, I grew up in Christian school, and now I got to walk into a public school. And like, I, 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 they're not going to want me in there. So I, I remember, as I'm getting ready to do it, the father of this young man comes to me, just bawling. And he said, you're really going to go do this? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, can I tell you something? Sure. He said, my son was born. We knew pretty quickly he had autism, and it was a severe case. And so we knew he probably would never be on his own. I remember at one point asking, God, what can you do with that? He said, I hope God does something neat. He walked away. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. I walked up to the first of the school, and there are stories I'll never forget. I get up there the first time. Now, I will be honest with you, uh, they had no idea I was coming. Uh, they uh, heard Pastor Rodney Love was coming, and there was no way that was a white guy. That's what they were telling me. There's no way. <laughs> so I show up, they're like, are you his bodyguard? And I'm like, do I look like anybody's bodyguard? So <laughs> we go in there, 
And you think I'm kidding. It was so bad they nicknamed me P-Rod because I was too white for the crowd. I'm not kidding. So I go in there, and, uh, but when I got there, there's a crowd of guys in their uniforms, ROTC uniform, we're here to escort you to the, uh, to the room upstairs. I feel important. I wasn't important. There were threats across the wall that they were going to beat up this, this preacher coming in. They, never, they told me that three months later. I might have run away. All my fears were coming true. We get up to the school. I walk in. I am scared. To, I had no idea what to expect. And there's about 35 public school kids who sat down there with the one point, embarrassed the preacher. I'll never forget my friend. I said, you know what? Let's just, any of you got questions? And one guy in the back corner, I do. He's like, are you, do you believe in creation? I said, yes, I do. He goes, I need you to answer this. He really thought he was smart. He goes, if you could get, I'm not exaggerating this question, by the way. If you could get an elevator and go back in time a billion years and walk out and see the ooze that the earth started from, what would you say? I looked at him. I didn't. I said, I'm still trying to get over the elevator going back in time. That was my answer. I don't know what else to say. I was like, if I got out of an elevator a billion years from now, I would die because there's nothing there. And I was like, and then I looked right at him. Is that all you got? That, I didn't know I said that. He's like, good point. Then, then they went on to real questions. Hash, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You know what grabbed my attention that first day? Instead of a group coming in just wanting nothing to do with church, they all came in just looking for answers that no one else would give them. I was blown away by the questions. I got my car. I just started crying because I went in all being about me. And God said, listen, you're the worst person for this job, and that's why I sent you. In that first year, 18 different kids got saved. I'll never forget one girl. She wanted her boyfriend to get saved because, you know, she goes, I can't date him unless he's saved, so he needs to come get saved. And he wouldn't come. I'm not kidding. She's pulling him by the ear in the Bible study and sat him down, and immediately every guy in the room was afraid of that girl, every one of us. We talked about heaven and hell, and that night at 2 in the morning, he woke up his girlfriend and said, I can't stop. I need to get saved. His brother got saved, started running a Bible study in Air Force Academy. Not legal, so outside the academy. I, I could go on. We were there nine years. I could go on for uh, hours and all that God did. But years later, when we shut it down, the father came to me again in tears. He said, now I know what God's plan there are people in our church right now as a direct result of that that have been saved and other people have been saved. Not because of me, but because Kyle was just innocent enough to say, Pastor, you can do a Bible study in my school. Technically illegal. We still were able to do it. I, I'm not, by the way, I don't ever tell stories like that to brag on me because I fumbled through that. Anybody in this room can be used of God if we remember the greatness of God and we just get a touch. A touch of what God can do. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be talented. You just have to be surrendered. Two questions let me finish. Number one, do you know for sure if you die today that heaven is your home? The Bible tells us, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The world wants us to believe you can't know for sure. God says you can. You can know today. The second question I would ask you is, is there something in front of you right now that you feel like God has forgotten about you, but it's actually God putting you there. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. Tonight we'll talk a bit about when it feels like everything's falling apart and we need to trust him. But right now, as we step into faith, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I just need to give it to you. Maybe today I just need to surrender 
this to God. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time you've given us this morning. I'm grateful for this church and the privilege I have to share what you've laid upon my heart. Lord, the testimony that they have, uh, Lord, just the wonderful privilege to worship you this morning. Father, I, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how much you love me because you know I don't deserve it. Beyond that, I thank you that you want to use me. And I am just, we're just not qualified. I'm just not qualified for that. Father, there are probably some, if not many in this room, I know I find myself there often sitting in a situation that makes no sense, that seems overwhelming. And today, we wonder, Lord, Lord, Satan wants to convince us that you have forgotten about us. We might not say that at church. We might not even say it to our closest family member. Father, there's part of us that is battling. And Lord, today, in simple faith, give our frustration to you and be reminded of the greatness of Almighty God. I pray if there's anyone here that's not sure they're saved, May they understand today the simplicity that's found in salvation. It's not about joining a church or getting baptized. Lord, it's simply about putting our faith in you and calling upon you today. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray we listen on purpose to whatever you're going to do in these few moments. I ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.